Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me, as always, is the captivating Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm fantastic. Thank you. The uh, The T20 World Cup is upon us. Uh, it's one year to go until the Australian World Cup as well. It's been awesome being yep. on the inside of the local organising committee for the last six weeks. So seeing that to come together has been uh, fascinating and, and uh, you know, very nice to be a part of. But... um. Yeah, yeah, the big one, 2020 edition is finally here, so I'm looking forward to that. Whenever I think of World Cups now, I just think of Katy Perry and being <laughs> on the field uh, in my full test whites, uh, which is I think what I, I ordered the game. I remember lending you a pair of test whites for that game. Yeah, I had the long sleeve. It was quite nice. Um, but, yeah, very good memories, exciting We'll, we'll be there in a year, I reckon. We'll yeah, absolutely. I think I've still yeah. got some test whites left over, so we, we can we can get dressed up again. Yeah, I actually I have a couple of uh, test whites left over in my closet, um, <laughs> and now that I've finished at CA, I guess they're mine, uh, un- unless they give me a call and need them. <laughs> but they are old, so I can't really use them anymore. So. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, let's get cracking, my friend. So firstly... A message from our good friends at Deakin University, where every single course is backed by industry experts, so you can be guaranteed and confident that you're going to get the job you want with a degree that employers want. Deakin University, progressive real-world learning. Um, we did just mention the World Cup in a year, uh, and I did say we we're going to go, and the only reason, well, the only way we're really going to go is through sports where I am. Mm. Uh, because they are a good friend of the show. Um, and I would recommend everybody doing the same by visiting sportswhereiam.com to find all your favorite sports. Plus, you can use a special code, uh, sportsgrad, 5% off your tickets, which is a great deal from our good friends at Sports Where I Am. So we'll be using them when we go to the World Cup. I'm sure they'll have a deal in place in a year's time. Absolutely. I don't want to speak too soon, but they definitely <laughs> will. Um, and there's a big summer coming up this year as well, so plenty to look forward to in the short term. If I had a dollar for every time we mentioned the Adelaide test, I'd be a rich <laughs> man. So anyway, let's get cracking. Uh, who have we got on today, mate? Uh, Ryan, today we're talking to Max Abbott. Now, Max has had a pretty incredible career when you, you listen to the range of roles and titles that he's had. Uh, he's been in some very interesting events and has got some great stories to share. But so Matt, Max is currently the, the media and communications manager at the ICC T20 World Cup local organising committee. And they're currently working towards the event being held in Australia 2022 next year. Um, he's had a pretty strong sporting theme for his entire life. You know, after he left school, Max worked at the Daily, Daily Telegraph for three years and then moved on to Fox Sports for for six years as a reporter. And, um, you know, during that time, like all of us, you and I particularly, Ryan, once you realise that you're not going to cut it opening the batting for Australia or opening the bowling, um, you begin to take your professional career uh, a lot more seriously. And, that, and that's what Max did. And so Max started to volunteer at his beloved Eastern Suburbs Cricket Club, which then led to an opportunity with Cricket Hong Kong and eventually the ICC, where he's been an incredible part of some of these ridiculous events that see that keep coming to the ICC tournaments. You know, in 2019, he was on the field 
um, when the Cricket World Cup went to a super over and England somehow snatched that. And then he was a part of the record-breaking Women's T20 World Cup in Australia featuring none other than, than Katy Perry, of all people, dancing on stage with the Australian women's cricket team. So uh, and now he's part of the 2022 Men's T20 World Cup. So incredible experience, incredible guy, uh, some great stories and um, one to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I loved about this chat um, was just the relationships piece and how important they were. A lot of people wouldn't really understand, but like it's actually quite hard to get someone to write an article about whatever it is that you're doing. And Max explained this perfectly mm. about, you know, you can't just get someone to, you know, write an article on the World Cup. There's an actual process that goes into it. So mm. it's an interesting one. Uh, so it's great to hear that insight. Yeah, plus he, he goes into great depth around the entire comp strategy that led to the record-breaking T20 World Cup for the women's event. You don't just get, you know, close to 87,000 people in a stadium by accident for the first time ever for a women's cricket match. Uh, so for him to explain what was their overall objective, what are the key, you know, points that they have to hit where they can get a spike in traffic and eyeballs, and the process to make it all happen was, you know, a great insight to see what goes on behind the scenes for a tournament like this. Yeah, awesome. My last one was just about the the T20 World Cup comms matrix, which is this huge document that Max explained uh, that basically, you know, tells them what to say when something might happen. You never know what's around the corner. So didn't really know that existed either. I thought they might just have a couple of pre-planned things, but... <laughs> wait till you hear about this doc it's quite huge so grab a pen enjoy this chat with max abbott max welcome to the sports grade podcast thanks ryan good to be here max there's a there's a lot of places we could take this conversation because you've done a lot of very different things in your career you know you've been a part of the 2019 Cricket World Cup, which went to a super over, which is incredible. You've done some time in Hong Kong uh, leading the charge over there. You've been part of the Women's World Cup, the record-breaking Women's World Cup there. You also run a crypto podcast as well, which I'm sure will leak into this conversation somehow. But what we want to know to start with is how did you come to manage the official website of Australian opening, opening batter David Warner? <laughs> Uh, thanks, Fruit. Yeah, uh, well, that was one of my first jobs, actually. And that really just came from the fact that I um, I was lucky enough to play a lot of junior cricket with Dave. So I think I first played with him when I was about 10 years old. Um, so we sort of came through the juniors together. And I think it was after he made that, you know, big 79 at the MCG at, where he sort of burst onto the scene before he'd played any state cricket. Um, Suddenly, sort of his obviously his profile went up. And he, his manager, who I um, who's a good friend of mine, um, said, "You want to give him <laughs> give him a bit of help with his uh, new website? We're launching, running a few blogs and things like that." So, Davey won't mind me saying this, and at the time, you know, a bit of help for him on the you know uh, the writing on the website was, was certainly in need. So, um, yeah, it was a it was a fun little job just to start things off. And, and has that carried over to all the TikTok videos that he's doing these days? I play no part in those, um, <laughs> but fair to say his engagement is a lot higher than what it was when I was writing his blog post for him. So, yeah, the, t the TikToks came out of the blue, didn't they? Pretty, pretty random stuff. 
But yeah, it's just been he's uh, killing one, of those, us. one of those COVID, um, COVID things. I mean, even the ICC, where we work now, um, use TikTok. And sometimes I, I cannot believe some of the stuff that gets posted on there. Yeah. <laughs> this is a major global governing body. And here we are uh, posting sort of meme videos on TikTok. <laughs> but it's, it's, all, it's all in good fun. Mm. It's, a, it's a different world we live in. Where mm. It's all about the TikTok now. Yeah, we well, need so- to get a TikTok, Bruce. We should. <laughs> Maybe we should start dancing on TikTok. <laughs> well, must say, before coming on this podcast, I was, it obviously makes you just sort of look back at some of the jobs you did, and it's made me realise that. And I don't consider myself, you know, too old at thirty-four, but uh, it makes me realise how different the media landscape actually is from when I first moved moved into it. I mean, there was no Facebook um, really for media, no Twitter. Um, I was actually. When I worked at Fox Sports, I think it must have been about 2011 or 2012, and they started a Twitter account, and I was on, you know, one of the few people that was sort of managing the the news Twitter account there. And that's not that long ago that we were, you know, and it's hard to really imagine now yeah. um, a news platform sort of going without Twitter. So it's, it's pretty incredible how much things have changed um, in the last 10 to 15 years. Mm. And it'd be pretty confronting as well if you'd just been through, you know, a communications degree or a journalism degree, and then you get to your job and they tell you, we want you to run the TikTok account. And you're thinking, yeah. I've just gone through all this university for that. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that definitely happens throughout your career. Week. I mean, even with Twitter at the time, and someone said, well, we're going to get you to run the Twitter and account. I mean, Twitter? Oh, I don't know how to use Twitter. I don't know how to, you know, and you sort of got to pick it up and run. But certainly wasn't in any course that I did uh, how to, you know, mm. post and find the right tweet. audiences through um, through Twitter. So it's a bit of learning on the run, um, trying to keep up, really. Um, something else that's very new to the world is cryptocurrency. Uh, and I, <laughs> when I found out you ran a podcast on cryptocurrency, I thought two things. One, how on earth has he, like, got to figure out what cryptocurrency is because I <laughs> battle. And two, I've got to listen because, as I just said, I battle, and this might help. But oh, yeah, <laughs> tell us a, how that a, started. Well, it's a big rabbit hole. Um, it's only been a, only been a few months, and this is this is a real exclusive because I don't even think any of my friends know that I uh, do this because <laughs> I I do it under under a um, you know a pseudonym name of Max Power, so uh, <laughs> no one in the crypto world knows the real me. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is definitely for the best. You don't need to know that Max Power. Guy. <laughs> yeah. um, um, look, I mean, it's just uh, I, when I was in Hong Kong in, in 2017, um, I met a, a friend of mine who first talked to me about um, Bitcoin. And yeah, I was like you, Ryan. I had, I had no idea what it was. It took me a long time to understand what it was, um, but just thought it was really um, exciting. Um, the idea of having, you know, complete custody and of your own funds, um, right, having no intermediary or CEO, this idea that something can exist that has no CEO or central um, authority that is, you know, completely separated. So I sort of just thought that was a nice idea and ended up just going down a big, deep rabbit hole with it really. And um, yeah, about a few, few months ago, four or five months ago, we, um, we've been in it in the game a while. There's a lot of people that don't know much about it. So I thought, why don't we just, uh, you know, start doing a little weekly review with into projects or guides about about crypto. So yeah, somehow, um, <laughs> somehow that's... <laughs> You know, um, somehow that's something that I do. It seems pretty yeah, a bit random, probably to to most people who know me, because they wouldn't even have any idea that I even 
when I trade or own cryptocurrency. So it sounds like you're preparing yourself for the ICC to open up a, a crypto department when they start mm. to dip it. Well, funny you say that, Ruben. Funny <laughs> you say that because they just announced the ICC about three days ago a commercial partnership with FTX, which are the, one of the biggest global cryptocurrency exchanges. So you'll be involved um, heavily so that's i didn't i didn't know i just read that um yesterday actually and i think i know they are looking at um getting involved with nfts and the like um down the line so watch your space i guess in regards to that you're well placed yeah <laughs> max we'll power it's, everyone it's a wild <laughs> yeah you, the cat's out the bag uh <laughs> you you've been revealed so <laughs> I know, mask is off <laughs> i love that we'll we'll check it out um, yeah. I certainly need Max some help Pound in that area. crypto on Twitter, I think, if you, if you really need to. No, but, right. you know, no judgment, please, in some of the coins that I've talked about. No, that, that'll, be, that'll be followed by Walks the Walks, my Twitter yeah. handle. Uh, <laughs> huge Twitter account, I think 180 followers at the moment. So, mm. yeah, it's, uh, it's breaking the internet. Um, let's shift from cryptocurrency. Believe it or not, this isn't a cryptocurrency podcast. Um, <laughs> As we mentioned, you've had a, lots of experiences in Korea. So what experience do you look back on and think those were the years where I really cut my teeth and what have they taught you over the years? There's definitely two examples. Of that. I mean, one was I um, volunteered at my local cricket club, um, Eastern Suburbs, and um, at the time I was a reporter with Fox and, you know, I was – I was doing okay there, but I was, you know, probably in third gear um, with myself there, not not probably giving all of my energy into that. And when I volunteered for my local career club, and very long story short, I was sort of thrust um, completely unexpectedly into um, role of vice president there when I was about 24, 25, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just sort of thrown into the role and realized very quickly in the first couple of months that this is really what my passion was was more in that sort of sports administration role being able to make a difference in the community and bringing people together through sport was um something that i would found myself really getting into top gear with and you know it's always a bit of a sign when you um so when you're spending more time on your voluntary job than your real job which you guys might have some experience with um, with this, with this yep, podcast at various times sure. <laughs> so i think that's um a bit of a moment where you realize actually i can really get the the best out of myself um, in this area and that sort of you know led to getting an opportunity up at Hong Kong where again I was probably thrown into some situations pretty pretty deep end um, we made a decision to start um, a new T20 franchise cricket tournament there because there was a, a spare weekend at one of the grounds that wasn't booked which is a big deal in Hong Kong so there's only three <laughs> grounds and so we're like well we could do a T20 franchise tournament and I was like yeah but it's six weeks away I mean what could we realistically do uh in six weeks yeah have four teams like we'll sell the sell the franchises they can have some overseas players and there were three of us involved in this two good friends of mine um who've had a lot to do with my career and they voted for yeah we can do it I said no we can't do it I said well who's going to run it and they said well you are so um <laughs> So suddenly, oh, yeah. um, but in you know, in six weeks, you know, we sold four franchises. We got Michael Clark to come and play um, at the event, and sort of just got way more, you know, viewership on the whole thing. It got sort of way bigger than ever we thought it could have, and um, you know, that was just found an intensity in my own working in that six weeks that I didn't know that I that I had when the real sort of time <laughs> pressure is on to deliver something that your name is on. So. 
I think um, that was kind of the moment where I thought, oh, I can actually, you know, this is, I've got a pretty high threshold here if I really push myself. That's awesome. And it sounds like where you were able to flourish came from the fact that there were very loose boundaries on what the job entailed. Like, you know, a local cricket club is, you know, they need certain things done, but the scope of it is largely undefined. And I imagine that'd be similar with Hong Kong as opposed to being in a well-structured state international body. Is that what do you think allowed you to kind of, you know, implement ideas, use your initiative and start to form a career? Absolutely. Um, that was the best thing about doing both of those, both of those things, the voluntary stuff with East was sort of was able to at least in a, a more um, lower profile environment, be able to probably, you know, either make mistakes and met a lot of good people because obviously we had some great people on the committee there that I learned from. Uh, and then in Hong Kong, I really like getting hands on in lots of, lots of stuff. And I think, um, you know, at Cricket Australia, you don't get the luxury of being the guy that's responsible for the marketing, the broadcast, the comms, uh, selling tickets. <laughs> You'd be pretty busy uh, if, if that was the case. So at Hong Kong, you get that sort of rare opportunity that you wouldn't get elsewhere to be really hands-on across the whole business. And I think especially, you know, fast-forwarding to now being in a comms role, it's so, it's re- so beneficial to just have that experience across all the different touch points um of the business because comms really does connect into into the whole uh, the whole show max one of my um favorite quotes comes from woody allen it goes by uh 80 of success is showing up and i'm wondering are there any significant sliding doors moments in your career where you happen to be in the right place at the right time I've had a few of those. Um, you know, some would say that in my career path I've been quite lucky and I do consider myself that I have been lucky. Some might say I'm not the most spiritual person that maybe you manifest these opportunities uh, and things come to you if you're really clear about what it is you want to do. Um, I So I started off at the Daily Telegraph. I went and actually played a bit of cricket in England. So you sort of leave your job and go and have some fun for a while. Came back, wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I said to someone, I'd love to work at Fox Sports. It was like one, you know, I was clear. I thought that'd be the place where I could really, you know, sports nut and get in there. And um, that seems like the place for me. And about, I don't know how long, but I'm going to say within a month or two, um, I, was at a, I was at a bar with a few friends and I, um, I was with said, oh, yeah, um, here's this, uh, uh, Bernie Cohen. I just met him last night. And he's just, he's just going to come out with us for a few beers at hey. Hey, Bernie, and he, he, got, and he worked, he was a reporter at Fox Sports News. So he came out with us for a few drinks that night. And um, I, you know, was just talking. We had a few mutual friends because I worked at the Daily Telly, so in the media game. And then he, I, he, I said, Oh, would you know, if I sent you an email or something, would you be able to, um, you know, put me in touch with someone? Great to just come in, even just for a couple of weeks to have a look and see how things work in there. And um, so I did that. And he lined up a chat with um, the, boss of Fox Sports and I walked in there and where I had played cricket the previous year was the same county that he was from um, so it was quite a good starting point for a conversation oh, you know played cricket in good England. I said, yeah I played, I played in Northamptonshire he's like oh I'm from Northamptonshire it's like oh wow <laughs> so quite an incredible sort of sequence of events that sort of led to getting that opportunity and he said, yeah, there'll be some casual shifts. I think with the website, they're looking for someone. So I did that two weeks later, like three people quit and I got a full-time job. So, you know, that, I think there's, <laughs> there's, 
it's either some really excellent manifestation or a lot of luck, <laughs> one of the two. So, um, <laughs> um, so I did have some good fortune to sort of get my start there. And, you know, by being involved at East, so the guy on the committee there ended up getting a job as Hong Kong cricket CEO, which was how I was able to go um, up there. And then, well, actually, when I was in Hong Kong, I was thinking to myself, I'd love to work on the T20 World Cup. And um, someone volunteered to help us out with our commercial projects um, um, in a voluntary role. That, and that person was Nick Hockley, who came up to help us out. Um, and so I was sort of mentored by him for over the course of six months. I had no idea he was going to be T20 World Cup CEO, but um, when I sort of came back to Australia and saw, you know, he was in that <laughs> position, I thought, you know, that at least there's someone for me to talk to about the role and find out about it. And I obviously still had to go through the whole process, but um, certainly, you know, it was very helpful, you know, insight to be able to have. So, you know, there's definitely been a few um, <laughs> yeah. sliding doors moments. So I do consider myself quite fortunate mm. in that regard. Well, you've, you've continued to put yourself out there. Like you, yeah. you know, it's very easy to go meet someone at a bar and think, oh yeah, he didn't actually mean message me the next day. But, you know, you continue to do that and then you get that opportunity or, you know, you, a lot of people think, oh, I should volunteer in my local cricket club um, committee, but then never do because they think, oh, the whatever's going to come from it seems too far away to, to even fathom. But if you don't do that, you don't go to Hong Kong, you don't meet Nick Hockley, Nick Hockley doesn't get you into the World Cup and here you are now. And so I think, yeah, it, it's such a great example of what, can happen if you just continue to put yourself out there. Yeah, and I think it's the way as well that you try and seek people's advice and help along the way. Um, I mean, for example, people who sometimes might, you know, message me on LinkedIn or saying, I'd love to work in, you know, the T20 World Cup. Here's my resume. It probably is something that I personally at least wouldn't suggest going about it that way, whereas if you're volunteering at a local cricket club, message me and say, hey, I'd love to just chat to you for 30 minutes about, what we're doing in our local club and if there's any initiatives that we might be able to, you know, implement here or any advice that you've got. And I would hundred percent say, yeah, sure. Like, you know, and then, and that would apply to most people, I reckon in cricket who would be willing to help. And then you've, you've you build some rapport with that person and, you know, build some trust where it's very difficult to recommend or favor anyone on a real sort of blank cold call. So, mm. and just being proactive about it all, actually actioning the things that you talk about, um, you know, I briefly gave the example at Fox. I really probably was sat at Fox and was, I suppose, reasonably passive. I was there for six years. I didn't move forward that far while I was there. And it was, I just kind of waited for opportunity to come to me while I was there. I was, I think, a decent enough reporter, but I was sort of just the guy who did impressions in the room for a bit of, bit of comedy and didn't really probably, you know, proactively push my case forward to do the extra miles to... Um, you know, to make it known that I was not only keen to develop, but actually willing to put that into action. And I kind of learned that from watching other people around me at the time who did that and showed real application and consistency in their work ethic, in their relationships that they built with people, and they accelerated really quickly. So that was a big lesson that I got from being at Fox that, you know, you need to have that consistent energy to put yourself out there and sort of back it up with a bit of action and be proactive about it yeah it's an interesting one like i can imagine it'd be hard because you might not know exactly where you want to get to but you at the same time you don't want to 
sit on your hands and just kind of wait for things to happen. So it's, yeah, I can get why yeah. it'd be hard to, you know, just to pinpoint that and actually show that you want something without knowing exactly what's on offer. Like I think that's a yeah. challenge for a lot of and people. Yeah, and it's the way you approach it. So it's not just saying, I'm really keen, I want to do more, or, you know, I want to develop into this. Yeah. To actually come up with suggestions and things you can do. I mean, I did it occasionally at you know, come up with a story idea. I'd love to go and shoot something on this. I've got one, two, three, four, five ideas I'd like to implement. Like they're the kind of things that I think um, managers or mentors are going to respond really well to. And even, you know, I know someone like Nick Hockley still does it today. We'd be in meetings at the T20 World Cup. We're not sure about what direction to go. He goes, I'm going to phone. I'm going to phone, you know, so-and-so and get them on the phone now, ask them what they think. And he'll just ring them up and ask for advice. So you never, and he's probably the, you know, the most brilliant mind that I've ever worked with in my career. And, you know, he's asking, he's got loads of people that he asks advice for. So um, if he's still got to yeah. do it, then there's no excuse for anyone else. That, that, that rings a bell. I remember hearing him say something about calling up the head of, ticketing from one of the airlines in the UK because ticketing is obviously a massive thing for them. And to hit up someone who's extremely experienced doing a similar sort of task, but in a completely different industry, you know, is obviously, it's going to be very useful, but you might not even think to utilize that sort of resource mm. that you've got on hand. So, um, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool to kind of hear some of the inner workings of Nick Ockley. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, He's brilliant. He's he's a big one for mid meeting. He doesn't wait until after the meeting to make the call. He'll literally make the call with you sitting in the meeting. There um, doesn't wait, which is again something I've learned probably from him. Is like there's no time like now to get something done. A lot of the time, yeah. um, you know, it's all well and good to have this list of actions for after, you know, down the line. But you know, let's get them done. Let's get them out of the way while we're while we're on a roll. So mm. it's kind of something that I've sort of tried to adopt a little bit as well. Yeah. And shout out to Nick. Obviously, he'd be listening. So, great friend <laughs> of the show. So, um, hello, Nick. Um, Max, in 2020, who could forget uh, the MCG was filled with 87,000 people for the final of the Women's T20 World Cup? Obviously, that doesn't happen by accident. Uh, what role does the communications department play in making that happen? Well, it's absolutely critical, as you can imagine. Right? <laughs> Just um, a little, like just a little <laughs> small role. Like they just, they, they just play their part. Well, know. the thing thing about events is a lot of a lot of parts come together to make something like that happen. And I did see after that final, a lot of people said, "Oh, you're so lucky, Australia made the final. You had a perfect day of weather. India, Australia, India couldn't have dreamt it any better." And that's that's true, but um, it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had you know two years of pretty hard work to actually build that up to a point where. Um, if we got that sort of situation, we could really make the most of it. So um, the communication strategy for us is really in a major event is to, to map out um, a roadmap of milestones and, and areas where you think you can generate some spikes in interest um, in the event. And it's pretty difficult. We're at that stage now for the men's. When you're a year, two years out, there's not a lot of people who are getting super excited, you know, um, for an event. People have got more immediate concerns. But it's really important just to have a consistent drumbeat um, to work towards every month or two. And the amount of times we said across two years, um, you know, come and be part of a world record on March 8th, International Women's Day at the MCG um, for the ICC Women's T20 World Cup final. We said that consistently 
over two years and for 80% of the, our time in that first 80%, people are like, oh, that's nice, that's nice. Um, but when it sort of, when the switch flicked about a month before the event and people started getting excited, suddenly the, the phone is going in the other direction and we're getting calls and people were already quite familiar with our story. So whilst it wasn't necessarily generating hype a year out, um, we'd sort of done the work over the last 12 months, just consistently deliver that message around equality, build our own credibility as event that what we were trying to do was genuine um, through all of our messaging. And uh, I think in the end, all that work we did um, to bring all the partners on board, um, the journey with us was what sort of was the end result in in what we got, which was I think, yeah, 86, 174, I think in the end. We didn't, didn't quite get the world record, but close enough. Still a, a very good achievement. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you remember this, Max, but I remember s- somehow, you won't be surprised by this, Ryan, I found my way up into one of the uh, oh, corporate yeah. suites where the T20 World Cup local organizing committee were having their post-match function and everyone was kind of congregating there af- after the game just to kind of celebrate, you know, two years of hard work and capped off by this incredible tournament, incredible World Cup final. And I'm not sure who you were sitting with, but you had your phone open, Max, and it had the photo of Katy Perry with her fist up in the air with surrounded by the Australian women's cricket team. And you're like, that's it. That's that's the photo. And like only you as a comms guy could probably appreciate like the significance of how perfect that image was. And in an ideal world, you with your role, you probably try and, you know, shape occasions where you get that sort of outward facing activity. Um Obviously, that one turned out to be, you know, an incredible circumstance. But what are the other things you have done in the two years leading up to that that are outward facing that, you know, are planned activities? Yeah, well, the, the biggest one was the fixture launch along the way. That's sort of the, it's the one day in a, ma- in a cricket major event where you've got some major news to deliver in terms of these are the matches, this is where they'll be. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit less, you know, some of the other milestones like one year to go. Uh, 100 days to go, might be a trophy tour launch are all quite nice. You can create nice moments um, that are shareable and newsworthy, but launching the fixtures is actually, you know, so they sort of speak for itself as being something of interest for people. And that is a big day because you've obviously, we we have seven host cities um, and all obviously have partners in all those cities. So each of those obviously have different messages on the day. So we'll have a central event. Um, last time we had it in Sydney. I think this time we're going to have it in Melbourne early next year. And so we have a big stakeholder event for 100 people. We release all the fixtures. You have to think about how visually you're going to sort of release those fixtures. And then you've also got six simultaneous media calls in host cities around the country because obviously in Sydney, they want to talk about the matches coming to Sydney and Perth and et cetera, et cetera. So um, is a lot of preparation goes in preparing all the materials to be able to give to those partners that are relevant to them. So what uh, the ICC global release, media release for that says, what the Perth release says, what the Adelaide media opportunity looks like, their graphics all look different in each of those markets. So, and that is purely because, you know, people are going to be more engaged by, you know, getting content that's really specifically relevant to them. So that's kind of the biggest piece of work that we have um, across the project to really just bring together every single stakeholder that we have 
and deliver them sort of communications materials to, to be able to get things out to their audiences. So, um, and that, and that's sort of what this role in the LOC is all about. Um, we actually don't own a hell of a lot. Like we're not the ICC, you know, technically. We're not Cricket Australia. We don't have any players that represent uh, the local organising committee that we can just call upon kind of at any time. I think all we own is a trophy, basically, <laughs> that we can take to various places. So, but we have an enormous amount of partners, which is what makes this event fun. You think about every single government, venue, sponsor cricket australia all the member nations that compete the icc um you know there's all sorts of people that bring our event to life like um kojo who do all our event presentation there's all these sort of agency partners it it spreads really really wide and you'll notice ruben from having been involved once you start listing out all those channels for all those different partners the list is huge they've all got email databases social media um you know, various other channels that they've got links in with. So it's a big, big piece to just make sure you're listing out and spreading that message as far and wide as you can. So, and you've got to make it as easy as possible for them to be able to help you out because ultimately, um, you know, whilst they are partners, their staff obviously aren't dedicated resources to help the T20 World Cup. It's really our role to give them the tools they need. So it sounds like... Yeah, like first step is like, all right, what's the key message? When are we going to push it out? What channels can we push it out to? And then a whole heap of back-end work to make sure that every single message for each of those channels, even though slightly different, is on point. Yeah, and even before that, it's being really clear in your objectives. So, mm. um, you know, for us, a uh, local organising committee, the main thing is about getting the stadiums full. So... Um, which obviously means selling tickets. So um, with that being an objective, the second is, you know, we still want obviously to grow the game and, you know, a real focus for us um, for the men's event is going to be about increasing the representation of um, multicultural Australia um, in media and in Australian sports. So sort of with that in mind, you start going, okay, well, these are our objectives. Here are our milestones we can have along the way where we think we can have some spikes. And then within those milestones, you build out plans. What channels can we build? Um, you know, for one year to go, which is on Saturday, what are all the, what is the whole list of channels? And Ruben, you'll be familiar with some of these, um, you know, from all these government partners, what can we tell each of these guys on, on one year to go? Um, what do we want them to know? And at this stage in the project, it's more just about awareness that the event's happening and the event dates. So we make sure that that's really clear in the messaging. And we want them to know that they can register now to get early access to tickets. So we'll just have with that being the objectives, it's awareness and registrations, you then sort of build that in um, to your messaging. So hmm. into those specific plans. How does that work with um, getting print media involved? So say you mentioned one of your objectives, getting uh, broader coverage of um, multicultural representation. How do you get a journalist to write an article about that within the T20 World Cup? Yeah, well, you've just, I suppose, you've got to find, um, yeah, that's that's the gig, I guess, is to find ways to do that. And it's getting more and more challenging with the actual media sort of shrinking in size um, every year, it seems. And it, um, there's certainly a lot more rigour around what media are wanting to publish. Um, there's, there's not many free kicks out there. So you've just got to find the stories um, yourself. I mean, and they're, they, they do exist out there. We're working very closely with Usman Kawaja, who's um, got a fantastic story about coming to Australia when he was 
six years old, not speaking any English. And um, he's had some incredible experiences through cricket and way in which that has sort of shaped him um, as a leader for multiculturalism in Australia. So, you know, you might think around the India-Pakistan match in the T20 World Cup, there's an opportunity for a different slant on that what is one of the biggest matches in the world that's upcoming in a couple of weeks' time. And you've got uh, an Australian who's very much, you know, friends and family circles, you know, um, celebrate that India-Pakistan match. And so there's, there's an opportunity there for some really unique insights. So you think about what journalists might be interested telling the story and, you know, having been in the media game for a while, you, you build up your, your contacts. But you've really just, just kind of pick and choose the right stories for journalists that, you know, through a personal relationship, you think that they might have an interest in. So, um, and that really can only be built up over time. I mean, it's, it's very hard, um, you know, if you're new and coming into the media game or comms roles um, and you don't necessarily have the biggest network, it's just something that comes with, with time and being at more events um, where, you, where there's media involved and, you know, you'll find after a while that that gets easier and easier. So it sounds like the success of that role with print media literally comes from the person's networks. Plays a big factor, yeah. Plays a big factor, mm. and and the ability to come up with stories that are interesting to mm. the media, and you need the networks not only in the media but also to get the talent too. So, um, yeah. So I've you've, that in with Australia away and with quarantine, all it's not easy to to try and do that these days. But um, again, having mm. now been involved in the game for a while and actually played junior cricket with Uzi, so another you know probably by playing cricket has probably helped my <laughs> network too because people that I've played with in my younger days, um, you know, have gone on to be pretty good players and involved in the, in the, in the cricket <laughs> system. So, um, which is, which is certainly helpful and also gives you a bit of a player's perspective in terms of what, you know, what are the things that might bug them or what they might want to talk about, what they might not want to talk about. Mm. You seem to have played with a lot of good players, just wondering what, what happened <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yes, uh, look, dodgy back a little bit. No, I was never, yeah, never, yeah. never quick. I was masquerading. Um, it, I masqueraded into a few first grade games in Sydney, but I was a, I was a second grader through and through. Um, but you know, just happened to play in a little golden time at Eastern Suburbs Cricket Club, where they had a, a lot of international players that that played a little bit. So yeah, yeah had Brad had and Nathan Bracken and Warner in the same grade team, certainly on one day there. Whoa, um, wow. <laughs> um, and like Pete Forrest, who played for Australia, Sam Robson, who played for England, Will Somerville, New Zealand. There's a whole bunch of internationals in there. And then I just bowled my 10 overs into the wind at the start. They got me <laughs> yeah. out of the way. Um, yeah. Hopefully I was all right Up in the hill. dressing rooms afterwards. I Maybe that's how I helped hold my spot in the team. Yeah. yeah. Whilst you're tweeting live updates as well. Yeah. <laughs> no Twitter then. This is that's how long yeah. it was yeah. since I played. <laughs> um. Max, I reckon, like, from my experience working with people in comms, they seem like the busiest people ever. Like, their phone <laughs> is just always going off. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine one of the big skills is being able to, you know, work long hours and always be switched on. Are there any other skills that are just unique to comms that you need to be successful? Um, well, I mean... It- probably in the name, but you, I mean, writing skills are just fundamental. I mean, it's very difficult um, to be a good comms guy if you're, you're not really confident in your own writing because you've got to be able to bang out copy for various things quickly and know how to structure your sentences and write efficiently. So if you're struggling with those skills, it's going to be really 
really stressful thing, uh, being a comms. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just remaining calm as well. Yes, you, your phone is always, it's an all-encompassing role. I mean, it's a, and I love it and I'm passionate about cricket and my role, so I, I don't mind. But if it is an all-in kind of job, you get calls, you know, you're on call all the time. Effectively, people want to ring you up if something happens. Fortunate thing of being in events is that we do a lot more proactive media and uh, planning ahead. Whereas at Cricket Australia, they obviously have day-to-day issues that come up that they don't know necessarily they don't know about until they read the paper in the morning. So, um, and that's kind of your day can be shaped completely through managing those. Whereas I don't have that issue at the moment, um, at least anyway. So, I think just writing and it's just being proactive. Um, I think. Uh, in comms, if you you've just got to try and take every little opportunity that you can get to, whether it's get a story out there. The sort of opportunities are endless, but I think just being proactive, getting out there, whether it's pitching stories in, coming up with ideas, thinking of new ways to do things. It's it's not a role where you can sort of sit and wait um, for big things to happen or for you to a journo to give you a call for that great. So you've really got to be proactive and and make things happen and have lots of energy. Coming back to that crisis management piece that can hit an organisation at any point in time, is that something you get taught in university? Like how do you, what's the process to dealing with that? Because I'd imagine like you probably have to be prepared for anything at any point in time in terms of what message the organisation puts out following the event. Yeah, and there, there are lots of different comms roles. I mean, to clarify, I mean, there are people who are a bit more on the PR side, just probably where I've been, and there are people who are just really good at crisis comms, like, you know, this, that's their thing, um, and that's really their, you know, they're the people you want to be close to um, if you <laughs> phone up uh, when things start going wrong. It's, I mean, it's just planning a lot of the time. So we have um, documents uh, like a spokesman matrix where we'll say if certain issues about certain things arise, this is the person who will speak about issue X, Y, Z, and we'll have a key message or two already prepared. And so we have a long document for the T20 World Cup of all things. And invariably there's stuff come up that you just isn't in that document. You know, so I know from last time we had stuff in there about bushfires, COVID. This is before COVID really struck, but was sort of in the news, like you, we did have um some planning in there if you know the ticketing site goes down if the website you know is working all these issues are listed out um and we just try and think of and we review those probably every six months or so we'll have a look through and say we got everything um in our crisis we call it our crisis comms document and that'll list out who's going to talk what's the process if this happens who's going to talk and then these are the key messages so at least if something happens you've got something there straight away as a starting point um, and then from there, you you know, you've just kind of got to use a bit of your own intuition and experience from there to navigate things. And I reckon the other key thing in crisis comms is don't always feel like you have to control everything. I mean, it's very easy to get panicky about things going wrong. People are saying bad things about my organisation, but there is a news cycle. The sun comes up the next day. You know, we're playing cricket. We enjoy it. And it's not nice sometimes when things are... Uh, you know, we, we all want things to go well all the time, but also just drawing breath, seeing, zooming out for a moment. And, um, you know, often things aren't as bad as they seem. Do you recall the day that the 2021 Men's World Cup, which is now the 2022 Men's World Cup, got postponed? Yeah, well, that was a 
big example of preparation. So we didn't know whether we would be postponed to twenty, um, postponed to twenty one or twenty two um, yeah. for that event. So obviously we knew there was a very good chance we weren't going to get on in twenty twenty. Um, but that we had to prepare materials for both situations. So we wrote, wrote press releases, key messages, uh, mat- built materials to send to all of our partners, graphics, the whole lot for both scenarios. So we had, I think there were actually three scenarios. There was, might have been one if there was like no decision about when it will be played, a postponement, or it's going in 21. So yeah, you just had to build three lots of so that once the board made their decision, whatever that was, then we've got it all there and we're ready to go. So um, that's probably a good example, actually, of just a situation where you just got to plan kind of all scenarios. Mm. Do not envy your role in in that situation. (laughs) Yeah, look, to be honest, I mean, crisis, you know, touch wood, I've not been involved in any absolute major crisis to this point or things that have come up really unexpectedly unexpectedly and i think working in major events you do you do spend more of your time actually looking ahead thinking this would be really cool we could do a photo like this and <laughs> you know that's be a nice story and you start phone which is the part of it that i really enjoy i'm far less interested in dealing with people's issues <laughs> <laughs> understandably so <laughs> um max we've mentioned a lot of your awesome roles uh on the podcast so far what would you put your success down to? Ooh, uh, I think in the end, being being proactive has probably been the number one thing and, and making the most, I guess, of some of the relationships that I've been able to um, forge over, over time. And it's been quite nice actually thinking about this podcast, to actually think about all the people who've helped me. And I've had so many people that have um, across however long. So I just think it was having the energy to either, if I know people, ask for advice, um, to admit that I don't know everything to people. I think just being vulnerable and um, being able to ask for help, I reckon that has been the, the key in the end. And I, obviously probably playing and being involved in my local cricket club, which I you know started when I was age six and I played through there, played through the grades, went on the committee. That whole network and community really was the starting point of my network branching out completely. So I'd certainly encourage particularly anyone involved in cricket, but I'm sure it still applies in other sports to, um, you know, volunteering. If you are interested in sports administration, whether it's comms or any, any part, actually putting your hand up, not just to go on the committee, but to really contribute and to want to make a difference. I think if your heart's in the right place and you, you, I, I didn't volunteer on the committee to further my career. I furthered it because I really wanted to help the club and yeah, get some thought it would be a good experience for me, but it wasn't why I did it. So I think local, local sport is a great place to start and sort of, um, you know, start building a network. It's a great message. I think, yeah, it's very easy to join one of those committees and just volunteer your time and turn up for the sake of turning up compared to volunteering your initiative and your ideas and willingness to grow the organization like you have so it's people a very respond to that that's what people will mm. respond to if people see that energy it's infectious yeah. so if you're working with someone who's you know got good coming up with good ideas getting stuff done being a genuine help that you're going to connect more strongly with that person um yeah. and you just never know where building those connections with people will take you Totally. Well, Max, we might leave it there. It's been awesome chatting to you. 
just learning about all things comms and your job at the moment at the T20 World Cup and hearing about some of the experience you've had as well, obviously Hong Kong, Fox Sports and cryptocurrency, of course. <laughs> but um, it's been unreal to uh, just hear how it all happens from, from inside the inner sanctum and um, just keep Ruben in check for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I think he's, he's with you, so just keep his, uh, keep his head level. So he'll be just fine. But uh, thanks again for coming on. Uh, thanks, Ron, and well done to you guys for all the work you're doing. You've done a great job with this podcast. Um, a bit of a tough act to follow to come on soon after Hamish McLaughlin, but uh, you know, <laughs> appreciate that. But no, it's good fun, guys, and, and and well done to you both. Thanks very much. Cheers. Well, Rubes, that was an all-time chat with Max Abbott. I uh, I personally. Loved all the comms chat and also the cryptocurrency piece at the start. It was quite interesting. So I'll have to check out good old Max Power. But uh, what are some things that uh, stood out to you? Yeah, I think I'm going to open a crypto wallet as well after talking to Max. But um, <laughs> um, I, I love what he said, like right at the end. You know, his whole career started from his opportunity at the Eastern Suburbs Cricket Club. And I loved what he said about how he put his name down to be on the community to make an impact. And because of that, his career benefited rather than going on the, com- on the committee to benefit his career. He's done in reverse and he's got a better outcome for it. And so I think for anyone listening to this, we continue to advocate for it and drum home the importance and impact of doing this. But volunteering in community sport with the purpose to make an impact just gets recognized by so many different people and opens so many different doors for you that you can't begin to explain where it can take you. But Max is an incredible example. As we said, he literally would not have met Nick Hockley and got the job of the ICC had he not put his name down to me on the, on the committee. So, you know, if I'm taking away one thing, it's it's join the committee. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the bit where he spoke about how, you know, he went for a drink with a, a couple of people that had mutual mates and one of them worked at Fox sports and the opportunity arose that, you know, he could get in touch with this person and possibly get a, you know, an opportunity to go and see how they do things at Fox sports. So I guess the, the message there is that, you know, be really proactive to get yourself in those situations, but also don't let yourself down and don't follow up on it because he could have easily just not messaged that guy. He could have just been like, eh, maybe you didn't mean it. Nah, he like stuck with it, messaged him and got himself that opportunity by, by following up. So I love that bit. A lot of sliding doors moments. Mm, yeah, absolutely right. Like don't let your good work go to waste by not doing the second part. Um, other one for me was just like learning how entrepreneurial the nature of a, of a comms manager is. Like you literally have to create every single opportunity yourself. You have to have the contacts at the publications you've got to be out there networking you've got to know what story to tell you've got to be like jumping on every opportunity that that comes up all the time like it's not one where you can just like sit back and and accept a list of tasks tasks that you have to do for the day like you really have to be quite proactive and so you know if i'm looking to become an comms manager in the future i think one of the best things you can probably do now is start to build that network now so that when you do step into the role you're ready to start creating an impact with the network that you've built yeah absolutely well that wraps us up um be sure to connect with us on linkedin we'd love to chat with you on there 
you can find a link to do so in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.